0: Ready, born ready.
1: Sir, Ramal got you. Sir, Ramal got you. Sir, Ramal got you. Sir. All right, y'all, we've got a great show for you today. It's going to be a little bit on the shorter side. um, And you can tell maybe that we are back in the studio. So I'm sure you're going to hear Keith chime in on the mic. Uh, Why don't we dive right in? (coughs) You know, election day is getting closer and closer and closer. So, so far, we've got more than 150,000 folks who have requested Their absentee ballots, the leading counties so far are DeKalb, Cobb, Fulton, Gwinnett, and then Chatham County, which is near Savannah, if I'm not mistaken. So now you compare this to the last election, there were, I think at this point, nearly a million people had requested their absentee ballot, but that's because it was 2020 and we were dealing with COVID. So we'll see who ends up. You know how this how these numbers evolve over time, uh, but obviously it's really strong to see that you've got a strong absentee ballot requests coming in from Democratic counties if you are voting for a Democrat. So speaking of the election, uh, Charles Bullock, who is kind of the political science godfather in Georgia politics, uh, professor emeritus at UGA, he wrote an opinion column about the upcoming election in the Washington Post. And he says in this article that Stacey Abrams needs to achieve something called the 29-29 formula to win the governor's race. And that formula means that she needs to get 29% of the white vote, and then she needs 29% of all votes to come from Black voters. That is essentially what the winning formula was for Ossoff and Warnock, uh, and also how Biden won Georgia. So that is what she needs to accomplish. Keith, looks like you have something you want to say about this.
0: No, I thought I had like a duh.
1: Button. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, you've been listening to the podcast,
0: I feel like we've been. It's an obvious. Yes. Yes. But it's just funny the way they just said it, like, "Oh
1: wow!" (laughs) Well, when you add it, when you add formula to it, it just makes it sound, you know, official.
0: And then, like, so no other demographic can sway the race because it says all from black.
1: But if you get those two, if you get twenty nine percent of white voters, and if you if at least twenty nine percent of everyone who votes is black, then she should be good to go. That means the
0: extra. On top right. just be like okay. Right.
1: Okay. Yeah. Now I was looking on Twitter the other day as I was trying to figure out what we wanted to talk about, and I saw this tweet that said, Black men in Georgia have the highest unemployment rates. And so I was thinking about the election and Stacy and the conversations about her low numbers with black men. This seems like a point that she could be making, right? Is if you want to have some policy specific to Black men, addressing unemployment. Because unemployment right now in Georgia is at an all-time low and nationally. But yet Black men have the highest rates of unemployment. So imagine what that looks like when the economy is bad, right? That means that Black men would continue to have the highest rates of unemployment and those margins would probably be even higher.
0: Yeah, I saw a similar tweet. And um, a part of me also wish that they would maybe uh, dive a little deeper in the data. Because, you know, unemployment numbers don't just mean you're unemployed. It also could mean you stop looking for work.
1: Right. Or um, you're underemployed.
0: Underemployed. Or especially in Georgia, uh, because the way small businesses are set up, you probably work for a small business under the radar, mm-hmm. which would come up as unemployed in statistics, but I mean, you might right. be thriving, you know. So I think but to address it for black men, you could attack all that, right? Hey, unemployment and let's get your businesses straight. Right. You have a lot of uh what we call business.
1: Right. And not business. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So and you and then help that. yeah, exactly. And then helping them see, okay, here are the ways, here's the benefits of having a quote unquote legitimate Business, right? You can access these other benefits, or give
0: some grants to some of those fees because a lot of time it's the fees that's hurdle. You know, it's the mm-hmm. paying for or the account or paying yeah. for the application fee for this and paying for. And right. these are one-time fees, but that three hundred dollars might be a bill.
1: Right. You know, so
0: yeah. You know, so you can
1: just do something the free game, right? For whoever ends up becoming governor, yeah. And just and the, have a day for black. Maybe, maybe make it. Maybe make it. This be pandering if you make it Juneteenth. If you register a business on Juneteenth, you don't have to pay any fees if you're black.
0: Yeah, I think it would be Panda. <laughs> I think he's just, just have us a little special grant, like how they do those uh Asian Pacific grants. Yeah. I've seen Gwinnett County do and uh do something like that.
1: Okay, so I'm actually I'm actually about to mention something now that you said that. So the Georgia Republican Party, and I haven't talked about this before, but they have opened offices specifically for black folks, for Latino folks, and Asian folks, like Campaign offices specifically targeting those voters.
0: I mean, I can see that because um, I cannot remember her name, but we talked about her on the podcast, the Hispanic lady that was running on the Republican ticket in Texas. Mm -hmm. She actually won. Um, And just because of, you know, party politics, not even because she might really be Republican. It's just, hey, I want somebody to do something. Right. I think that's pretty smart. I think, uh, especially with that news reverberating, I think people are realizing like, hey, they might want to stop immigration, but they're voting in their Mm -hmm. interests. I think it's pretty smart. Yeah.
1: I don't think there's a a democratic office for black people. No, I don't think so. (laughs) I don't think so. All right. Switching gears, let's talk about something that, uh, if you're listening to us on Tuesday, uh, launch day, Tomorrow, there will be a hearing of the January 6th committee. It's the first hearing that they've had in about two months or so. One big piece of news that came out that appears to further the connection between the White House and the folks who attempted this coup. Take a listen to this clip.
2: you at one point this is way bigger than it appeared in the beginning? Absolutely. You get a real aha moment when you see that the White House switchboard had connected to a rioter's phone while it's happening. That's a big, pretty big aha moment. You get an aha Wait moment. Wait a minute. Someone in the White House was calling one of the rioters while the riot was going on? On January 6th. Absolutely. And you know who both ends of that call? I only know one end of that call. I don't know the White House end, which I believe is more important. But the thing is, the American people need to know that there are link connections that need to be explored more. As senior technical advisor for the January 6th committee, Denver Riggleman, a former House Republican and ex-military intelligence officer, ran a data-driven operation pursuing phone records and other digital clues tied to the attack on the Capitol. From my perspective, you know, being in counterterrorism, you know, if the White House, even if it's a short call and it's a connected call, um, who is actually making that phone call? Is there a simple, innocent explanation for that? Was it an accidental call from the White House that just happened to call numbers that somebody misdialed a rider that day on January 6th? Probably not.
1: So the guy that you're hearing, Denver Riggleman, again, he served on the committee in a staff capacity, Republican, and he just wrote a book about what happened on January 6th and the work of the committee, which has been controversial because the committee has done such a good job of really making sure there have been no leaks and they're only sharing with the press what they can. And Ruggleman has kind of shaken things mm-hmm. up a bit. Take a listen to this clip.
2: Jenny's claim that her perspective had no influence over her husband. Possible? Sure, you wrote. Was it probable? Hell No. <laughs> So, for me, in intelligence, are always the possible and the probable. Is it possible that Clarence Thomas had no idea of the activities of Jenny Thomas over decades as a Republican activist? Possible. Had no idea about what was going on during the election and Biden and Trump and her connections to the administration. Possible. Is it probable? I just can't even get my arms to that being probable. Now, of course, you know the criticism is going to be, well, Denver, you don't have any, you know, specific proof of of Clarence pushing this? Great, that's fine. Well, how about we find out, right?
1: So there's conversation about if Jenny Thomas is going to speak at the committee in some form or fashion. Again, a lot of what we have learned has been about just basic common sense, right? In what world do you think it's okay to break into the Capitol? In what world do you think it's okay to be the wife of a United States Supreme Court justice and you were actively asking for other elected officials to overturn the results of an election? So what happens next? Here's a snippet of an interview from Representative Lofgren, who is a part of the committee on the anticipated timeline of what we'll be seeing,
3: working hard uh, to get the report concluded. As you know, uh, select committees are established for the life of a co- of one Congress. We've always known that, and uh, the this Congress. Uh, is ending at the end of December. So we have to get it done before then, but we want it to be complete, accessible. We may have a few other pieces of information that we can provide to the public, uh, but I doubt very much that the full report uh, will be done uh, by the end of October. As we wrap up our conversation, the House this past week... And so the reason why the timeline is
1: important to mention is because... We're in an election year, the midterm elections, and there's a question about if Democrats are going to be able to hold on to control of the House. And then obviously, if they do not uh, hold control of the House, you'll see whatever happens next with the January 6th committee just kind of go by the wayside. Um The next clip I want you to hear is, again, from Representative Lofgren, and she's talking about the solutions component of the committee's work, right? So the committee has been meeting for however many extended period of time. They've reviewed thousands and thousands of pages of documents, and they've listened to videos and all this, right? We know that there was an attempted coup. What happens next? How do you... Ensure that this does not happen again. And really, this is a conversation about election integrity. So take a listen to this clip.
3: Well, the Senate is proceeding, and obviously there are conversations underway uh, between myself and and Liz and uh, senators. They have a, a markup scheduled Uh, i think for tuesday on their bill there's a lot of overlap just as there are some dissimilarities Uh, as they make amendments we'll see uh, if there are elements that we covered that they didn't that they might be interested in doesn't mean they'll do it exactly the way we did Uh, but i'm hopeful that we will use the legislative process to come to an agreement there's no reason why we can't have a meeting of the minds using Uh, the legislative process. So I fully expect that we will. It it will not be done next week Mm -hmm. um, because both the House and Senate will be in recess until after the election. But uh, I believe we will come to a meeting of the minds. Any concerns that reconciling... And
1: so what she's talking about there is reconciling a bill from the House and a bill from the Senate to address election integrity going forward. And again... Democrats are concerned about losing the House. And then obviously there's a conversation about if they will be able to keep the Senate. And so if they don't get an election integrity bill passed before the end of this year with this House and this Senate, then who knows what would happen in 2023 if Democrats lose control of one or both chambers. All right. Next, we're going to talk about something that seems really innocuous and like you probably would not have heard about it if it hadn't become partisan. So if you have a retail business or study your credit card statements, you may have heard of something called a merchant category code. These are the four-digit codes that companies like Visa will use to categorize your spending. So for example, a car repair shop has a unique code from a restaurant, right? And the point of this is to identify The primary purpose of the business, and it also helps retailers track and banks track how you're spending your money. So mine, whatever the code is for restaurants, I know mine is a lot of that one. So now there is a new code to identify businesses that primarily sell guns and ammunition. And so Visa and other credit card companies just announced that they will start to use this new code And it has really pissed off Republicans and others who were saying that this is a big brother move. Now, again, let me be clear. If you buy a car, there's a code for that. If you buy clothes at Macy's, there's a code for that. If you buy alcohol, there's a code for that too, right? For literally everything that you purchase. (coughs) Yeah, there's a code. (laughs) It's not going to say how much tequila you bought, but it's going to say liquor store. So... Again, you know, there's a code when you're buying your clothes. It's not going to say I bought a T-shirt and a pair of jeans. It's just going to say that I purchased clothing or I purchased something from a store that primarily sells clothing, right? It doesn't matter where you are. And so the same thing is going to go for gun stores now. It's not going to say I bought a nine millimeter, you know, Glock or if he's in the right thing, I don't even know. But it won't say I bought this gun and this number of bullets. But it is going to say I dropped $1,500 at a gun store, right? And the point of this was to faster flag suspicious purchases. Because what has often happened is that folks who have done some of these mass shootings have purchased in bulk, you know, 10,000 bullets, right? Or they purchase a large number... (laughs) of guns or ammo, which is suspicious. Now, on the other side, you could probably say, okay, well, then now they'll just purchase them one at a time, right? They'll just purchase one gun at a time, or they'll purchase 500, a box of 500 uh, bullets instead of 5,000. Now, Republicans are saying that this is going to politicize gun purchases. About 17 Republican attorneys general from across the country have signed on to a letter saying that, you know, they're upset and they don't appreciate it. And here's what Tennessee's attorney general said. And again, this is all a reminder of why every election matters, including we talk about governor, but you got to go down that ticket. Attorney generals. So the AG in Tennessee said this. My worry is if if boardrooms get more involved in politics, then politics is going to get more involved in boardrooms. We are moving in a direction where everything is becoming political, and that's bad, end quote. Now, I I can uh, understand that, yes, politics and boardrooms have become more and more intertwined, but I'm having a hard time understanding why adding a code to a purchase is something that folks are up in arms about. All right, some quick union updates uh, just to keep you guys updated on what's happening. Let's start with what happened in Atlanta and then we'll move out. Workers at the ATL2 Amazon warehouse in Stone Mountain, they just recently did a walkout. Uh, Two workers passed out from what they are saying are intense work conditions. Some of the workers are looking at unionizing. This is about a 5,000 employee store or warehouse in Stone Mountain. Take a listen to Rain Edwards. She is one of those workers at the ATL2 store.
0: What we got going on is a strike, a walkout. All we need is fair treatment, money in the building so we can keep the, build, the equipment running so that we can do our jobs and get the customers their product in a timely fashion. Amazon likes to get it to you before the expected time date. We can't do that here with the equipment malfunctioning and corporate not releasing the funds so that maintenance can get it running for us. On top of the fact that Jeff Bezos made the statement to increase minimum wage for all of Amazon. ATL2 wasn't included in that for some odd reason. So we want to get that, get to the bottom of that as well. People need more wages down here and work in safer conditions. We need more bathrooms in the facility. We need a cleaner facility. We need a working facility. And we're going to take over the world. So Amazon, jump on board with
1: your staff. Come on, corporate, let's go. Jump on board with your staff. Let's go. Come on, Amazon. (laughs) Uh, So I think this is the first time a a Georgia warehouse of Amazon workers have walked out. And I'm hearing rumors that there's going to be another Amazon location in Georgia that's going to do the same, but with more employees. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, A few more. JetBlue, their ground operations employees, are going to join the Machinist Union. That's the largest transportation labor union in the world. So that's about 3,000 workers from JetBlue. And then workers at the Williamsburg Trader Joe's store have filed to have a union election. At least one Trader Joe's store has already voted to unionize, and others are starting the process of unionizing. And then our favorite Starbucks that we, I feel like we talk about their union efforts a lot. Starbucks was forced to rehire seven workers at the Memphis store because they've basically fired them for unionizing. A store in Houston, Texas has just voted to unionize. And now we are at 327 stores that have filed to unionize. I think when I last mentioned that, we were in the 200s. Now, not every store has voted in favor, right? Fifty-three stores have lost those union elections, so that's what's new on the union front.
0: So, is it like a national Starbucks union that's going to link? There up? is okay,
1: okay. Yeah, there is a national Starbucks union and there is a national uh, Amazon union. Union.
0: Oh, so it's a national because I, I wonder do 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 they have a uh, data? You know, we probably start a data podcast. Like, do they have data on the area and unionizing? Like, you brought up the Stone Mountain story. Mm-hmm. And, like, I know for sure they've already started hiring people.
1: <laughs> well, Amazon also <laughs> hires on a rolling basis, too. And, and
0: if you've seen that documentary, they kind of set it up yeah. like that. So it was, they're yeah, never so, not going to. Right. And in a place like, especially Georgia, especially metro Atlanta, where the, we just talked about how high the unemployment rate is for black right. men. So they leave. It's going to be a line of people.
1: Yeah, there will be. There when, will always be a line of people ready to take that next person's place. But is it
0: like a, you can tell the union would be successful if they're in an area where, you know, such and such make a certain amount of money mm. or the houses are, you know, or there are a lot of apartments. You know, little things like that I'm wondering because, I you know, I'm all for it. I would love to see ATL unionized, but I don't know.
1: Yeah, yeah I— We'll see. I mean, one of the tactics that Starbucks has used, and you know, I just mentioned that they had fired these seven workers and then were forced to rehire them, is they do stuff like changing their um their schedule, right? And so you go from having a reliable schedule to now you don't know if you're going to make, you know, however many hours a week you need to feed your family, man, right? They, like, so we those we just talked it's, about that. They did yeah.
0: to, to teenagers, man. They used to do that to <laughs> me when I was young. That's how you know. You about to get fired. Right. You go from four days to three days. Right. To so every one. other day. <laughs> and one yeah. every other week. And you like I'm
1: right. out of here. Yeah. So they'll they'll do stuff like that to kind of push you to leaving. All right. On to yeah. onto our party poopers and party starters. <laughs> Party's over. The party is over. Close the gates. (laughs) All
3: right. Party's over. Everyone go home. Are
2: you sure
0: you want to invite this party pooper to poop on your party? I'm the party pooper.
1: So President Biden recently did a 60 Minutes interview, and he was asked about if America would defend Taiwan in the event China attacks the country. China attacking Taiwan. Take a listen to this.
2: What should Chinese President Xi know about your commitment to Taiwan? We agree with what we signed on to a long time ago. And that there's a one China policy and that Taiwan makes their own judgments about their independence. We are not moving. We're not encouraging them being independent. We're not. let. That's their decision. But would U.S. forces defend the island? Yes, if, in fact, there was an unprecedented attack. After our interview, a White House official told us U.S. policy has not changed. Officially, the U.S. will not say whether American forces would defend Taiwan. But the commander-in-chief had a view of his own. So, unlike Ukraine, to be clear, sir, U.S. forces, U.S. men and women, would defend Taiwan in the event of a Chinese invasion? Yes,
1: who's running the country so you have the u.s president saying that if taiwan gets attacked by china they would the u.s president would send american troops then his administration says oh no that's not the case our policy on taiwan has not changed at all Uh, but again you heard directly the president's point of view on it and we're just like oh okay yeah no big deal Uh, but it really is. Um, Biden's remarks on this were about a week before the UN General Assembly, which just took place. And Biden is without a doubt the party pooper and the administration because you should be really doggone clear about if you were going to send American troops to another country and fight a war. That is going to be incredibly costly. Uh, There will be a tremendous loss of lives. That is... Very well uh the war that could turn into World War Three. Let's get it started in here. What's rule number one? party Party. 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 all right let's end on a higher note uh for our party starter down in macon georgia the okmulgee national park and preserve i hope i said that right is one step closer to becoming a reality this is a really cool story here there will be a protected 54 river miles of floodplain and this whole area again was where Native Americans had been displaced. You've got a lot of sites of cultural or historical significance, including the Great Temple Mound and then other historical mounds near it. Take a listen to this interview. My goal in moving to Georgia has been to make sure that, one, the tribe has a path to come back, right? Whatever that looks like in the future, whatever the administrations in the future deem that looks like, I want there to be a path for our citizens and our people to come back and feel connected to this land. And I want them to come back and to receive whatever it is that they need to receive here so that we can tell our stories and become a part of the fabric that is this beautiful land. This is lush, gorgeous land. The the rivers are gorgeous here. you know, people grew up on this, fishing these waters and hunting these lands, and we are the original hunters and fishermen of this land. We care about that. We want to see it preserved and protected, but we want to be a part of that conversation as well. We want to see our language here. We want them to know that the words that they're speaking come from our people. So that's just really cool, and and that this is able to happen when we have a U.S. Secretary of the Interior who is also of Native American descent. So it's a really historic moment. For Georgia and for the country. All right, y'all, that is today's show. I want to let you know, finally, you can share this news. We are having our one year, I don't even know how it happened, one year pot anniversary. We're going to do a debate watch party. <coughs> <laughs> all the effects we're going to do a debate watch party Monday October 17th at the Russell Center for Innovation in Castleberry who will be debating none other than Stacey Abrams and Brian Kemp doors are going to open at 5 30 we'll start some pre-debate events at 6 and then the debate will start promptly at 7 p.m and it's going to be televised so it really will start promptly at seven. So come represent your party whether it's the blue party, the red party, the green party, no party, whoever right Just come on uh, have some fun. we'll get to see each other in real life. Again, one year anniversary debate par- watch party Monday October 17th. See you then.